Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 223. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry. Hey, Valerie. Good to see you. Good to see you. I, I know I've been in and out over the last few weeks. Well, you know, that's okay. We soldier on here. Yeah, I appreciate you doing the solo episodes. I've had a, a bit going on personally, so it's been a little tough, but I'm glad to be back today. Well, we are glad to have you back. What do we got on the show today? On today's show, we're going to answer your questions, you the fans, on whether or not you should get a cosmetic fridge. Is dry shampoo bad for your hair? And a few other hair questions. And what is this thing about lamellar emulsions and how do they work? And of course, we'll cover some beauty science news too. But first, uh, I heard you had a mulberry tree mess. That's right. I wanted to give people an update because I did mention at the last show, (laughs) this ridiculous thing. Like in my backyard, there are all these mulberry stuff, schmutz. I didn't really know what it was. And I was looking up. I looked in Google. I couldn't find it. But... You know, mulberry trees, they make those little mulberries. And in mm-hmm. the fall, you get all these berries all over, messing up my hair. But this was the springtime. I'm like, what are all these things? Well, it turns out mulberries, trees can actually have female and male flowers, I guess. And so these were all the male okay. flowers. So they weren't the fruit. So apparently. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't have any trees because I live in an apartment in LA. So I, I don't have that kind of mess. But I'm glad someone was able to help you out with that. It's good to know we have... People can answer those questions. We we have a few arborists in in the uh, audience. <laughs> now, if oh, only that's somebody great. if only somebody could answer my squirrel question, but <laughs> we'll get it someday. Yeah, I, I wish I could help with that, but I can't. Uh, well, for me this week, uh, Mr. Cosmetic Chemist has really been driving me up a wall. Oh, so. No. Uh, with COVID, you know, all these uh, different shows that have uh, are usually scheduled. We've talked about them before. These ingredient shows or scientific symposiums are all getting canceled or rescheduled oh or, yeah the trade shows or yeah. whatnot yeah the trade yeah shows. yeah and so i had to do the most embarrassing well it wasn't the most embarrassing thing but it was pretty um embarrassing so i was just super honest i uh mr cosmetic chemist likes to make lists and um he's now interested in all the different trade shows so he's making lists of okay what are all the cosmoprof shows what are the cities they're in what are all the in-cosmetics shows? What are the cities they're in? And he, um, I gave him all the in-cosmetics that I could remember going back to 2007 and yeah. what cities they were located in. And he was like, well, I was reading online that in-cosmetics was um, started in 1990. So can you get the shows from 1990 to 2007? <laughs> and I laughed. And then he's been hounding me for it. So I, I finally emailed someone uh, at in-cosmetics. And I was like, hey... Um, Full disclosure, Mr. Cosmetic Chemist is crazy and obsessive, and he needs this information. And, uh, you know, Mr. Cosmetic Chemist was mortified that I did that. But I'm not going to look like the crazy one trying to get this information. So you got the information? Well, not yet, but uh, this was just yesterday. I just finally caved in to peer pressure and uh, and took care of it. I'm like, why do we need to know where In Cosmetics was when we were like eight? (laughs) 
I, I don't know. It, it kind of reminds me of like the Olympics where you want to know where all the cities were, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except it's cosmetic trade shows. It's like kind of a weird list to keep, but, yeah, um, but whatever. It is a little out there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think uh, we also wanted to talk about some other stuff. Yeah, Valerie, I just wanted to mention, uh, you know, there's been a lot going on in the country uh, with the virus and with protests and with uh, police violence and such. And I just wanted to uh, take a moment to, to address it. Our show is really a beauty product show. We talk about beauty product science. Uh, and so we don't really get into politics and things. And also, uh, we are not really experts or people you should be listening to uh, for uh, for this topic, really. But what I do want to recommend is that for listeners to uh, go and take a listen to some a couple of podcast uh, episodes that I heard recently that I thought were excellent, and it sort of addressed what's going on in the country with, with racial tensions and uh, how those can be addressed and the history of those sorts of things. And so I would say check out the Up First podcast from uh, Sunday, June 7th, uh, about how the history of how the police force in America developed and why uh, it has been intertwined with racism all these years. And uh, it was really just kind of a fascinating story. Also, This American Life, which is one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, it was a That's radio a great sh- podcast. Yeah, it's a radio show, actually, that I've been listening to since like 1995 or something. It sort of got me into public radio. Well, they had uh, an episode recently about Afrofuturism, which was also quite interesting. It's uh, episode 707. So, you know, like I said, we personally don't have a lot to say on the subject, and I think uh, I prefer to listen, and so I encourage you to listen there, too. Yeah, well, sometimes uh, listening is the best thing, and to keep your uh, mind open and to uh, take in all the various knowledge that is out there and becoming available. So check those out. This American Life is is a wonderful program. Well, let's talk about some beauty science news that's going on this week. Uh, there was one article in Happy Magazine. We've, we've talked about this magazine, Happy, a lot. It's personally my favorite publication on our side of the industry that I read. And even though I, I sometimes, you know, complain about some of the articles they write, I always remind uh, the editors at Happy, you're my fave. Um, so <laughs> and that's H-A-P-P-I if you're... Yeah, and it stands for Household and Personal Product Industry. Institute. Industry. Industry. industry? Yeah, yeah, industry, yeah. right, yeah. Uh, well, I should probably know what the acronym is. <laughs> I know most of it. That's the most important thing. Well so uh, anyway, there's this uh, article uh, that is men's skincare really poised for growth. And I got my start in the industry to men's skincare brands. So th- this article is kind of interesting because the topic pops up every now and again. 10 years, it was poised for growth. A few years ago, it was poised for growth. Now it's poised for growth. So I don't know. When's it going to start growing? <laughs> it was poised for growth when I got into the industry back in the early 90s. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, they said uh, they expect it to grow by $1 billion over the next four years, which uh, is only about a 3% CAGR. So, uh, you know, they're pretty much saying that they think anti-pollution is going to make a big uh, stake in that. Uh, Men being worried about uh, the sun and anti-pollution products, making sure that their skin is protected against premature aging. So, uh, Interesting point. Uh, it was listed under breaking news. I don't really know if that's breaking news. I don't know. <laughs> and I don't 
I don't also know if I really believe it. And perhaps I'm biased uh, because uh, my my skincare involves me washing my face with uh, the shampoo that's on my head every so often. <laughs> and that's it. My uh-huh. wife actually got me a uh, a little tube of hyaluronic acid like a year and a half ago, and I've used it like three times. <laughs> but I don't know. Oh god, it's just not a thing I think about. Well, you should probably use that hyaluronic acid up. I'd offer to take it from you, but if it's already a few years old, I don't think I'm interested. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's fine enough. I just forget. I mean, you're talking about somebody who doesn't even use shaving cream to shave his face. Like, I'm, I'm in the shower. Um, the warm water, I just shave that way because it's too much trouble to put shaving cream on. Which just demonstrates to you, if I'm your typical guy, their skincare for men is not going anywhere. Perhaps I'm not. Yeah, well, it's definitely a small market. That's for sure. It it could be growing. I believe that. I just don't know if it's like breaking news. Whoa. You know, I I don't know how much it's going to grow. I mean, Mr. Cosmetic Chemist, I'll give him something. He'll use it. And then when he runs out, he's never like, oh, I need more. He just like runs out and stops using it. And I'm like, don't you need more moisturizer? And he's like, oh, no, I ran out of that. And it's like, (laughs) well, you need more. Uh, anyway, I, so we'll see. I totally understand that. <laughs> yeah. Well, what did you see this week? I saw an article also also from Happy, although it was in a, a few places. Um, and it was a little bit disturbing, quite frankly. It turns out a third of people surveyed are practicing risky cleaning procedures during this pandemic. I believe uh, it. Yeah. A recent report described a recent report by the CDC It described a sharp increase in calls to poison centers related to exposures to cleaners and disinfectants since the onset of the coronavirus disease, uh, the the pandemic. And according to them, quote, uh, according to data collected by the CDC, people put bleach in their food and gargled or inhaled it. Others have washed their bodies with household cleansers and disinfecting products. So You're kidding, right? No, they had a... Who uh, is gargling bleach? Some people are gargling bleach. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if any of this has anything to do with being encouraged by the leaders of our country. But all I have to do say is people... Don't gargle with bleach. Don't put it. Do in Do not your food. put bleach near your mouth right. or your kitchen or your food. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's 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 not safe. Don't do it. It's not protecting you from anything. I was so very troubling to hear that I say. Oh my gosh! I th- I think we've talked about this before, Perry. I don't know if it's been on the show, but you know those Darwin Awards. I am familiar with the Darwin Awards. Yes, uh, awards are given yeah. to people who uh, die in strange and preventable ways. <laughs> exactly. I feel like th- this could be one of them. I mean, I'm sure there are accidental uh, poisonings that are occurring just due to the fact that people are having more cleaning products. They're leaving them out. Maybe kids are getting into them. I, I hope not. Uh, but, I mean, when you're putting bleach in your food or washing your body with it, or gargling with it. Um, its That's not good. That's right up there for Darwin Award candidacy. I, but I have to say that uh, as far as consumers go, and if you're not sort of educated in science, and you might hear something in social media or 
you know, one of the, your leaders are suggesting something or taken out of context, I can kind of understand how a regular person who is <laughs> who doesn't know better might try something like that. All I can say is don't do that. Ugh, public service announcement, don't do it. <laughs> Indeed. Well, in addition to some news, we got a couple listener feedbacks this week. We did. It's always so great to hear from you guys, uh, when, especially when you have commentary about the shows. Here is uh, one from Steffi. She says, hi there, beauty brands. I just wanted to thank you guys so much for all the work you put into making the show, even in light of the current COVID-19 pandemic. I actually f- only found your podcast whilst listening in isolation, whilst being in isolation all the way over here in Australia. I don't have any accents, else I would try to read it in that. No. Yeah, I was going to try to do something and decided against it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, She says, I found it so informative and it really ignited a passion for knowledge of the beauty industry, ingredients, and their functions. It has made me more aware and inspired me to do more research than ever before to become better informed on what is in beauty products and how much their claimed functionality has yet to be proven. Uh, Your podcast has helped me keep my brain active during this busy time and what I've learned will not only benefit me and my friends who I can pass the knowledge on to, but also in my work uh, when I'm needed to cover the beauty department. So thank you again, and I wish you both the best health and happiness. Thank you so much for that. It's always good to hear that, uh, you know, what we're doing is having an impact. Yay, Steffi, thank you. Uh, Our next listener feedback comes to us from Rose. She's a huge fan of the show. She is an esthetician in Rhode Island, and she loves all the info we share. Specifically, uh, Rose has been meaning to reach out since the episode where we were talking about different proteins for hairstyling products and some of the benefits that they provide to the hair when in a formula. And she has a great quinoa protein styling product from Milkshake. It's just called Lifestyling Smoothing Cream, and she really loves it. And I actually really enjoy uh, quinoa protein. It provides excellent color protection and uh, smoothing and shine to the hair. And she, uh, when I was communicating with her about it, she's like, yeah, this product does all those things. So another protein lover out there. And thank you for the kind words, Rose. And it makes a nice side dish. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it does. The ancient grain quinoa. But another, just- I think, yeah, is quinoa an ancient grain? I, probably, right? Quinoa? Although it's sort of a new food. I, yeah. <laughs> I've only recently eaten it. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. So a lot of news, a lot of listener feedback. We have even more stuff going on this week. We had some beauty product recalls. Yeah. You know, I saw this, uh, you know, one of my uh, early favorite brands to write about. Uh, Arbonne International has recalled its Shea Butter Body Wash as product testing revealed the presence of Pluribacter gergovia. Yep, that's right. Plur- which is, Pluralibacter uh, gergoviae. Yeah, wait, say that again. You're like a professional microbiologist. <laughs> Pluralibacter right gergoviae. I, I deal with a little wow. micro in production, unfortunately. Well, all people in production do. Sure. <laughs> well, I was looking at it, and so this uh, shea butter body wash, this is really the downside of avoiding proven effective preservatives like parabens and formaldehyde donors. Now, I did look at their ingredient list, to be fair to them, and they are actually using a ton of preservatives like ethylhexylglycerin, chlorphenicin, benzyl alcohol, potassium sorbate, sodium benzoate, and phenoxyethanol. But apparently, uh, that's just not good enough, <laughs> at least for this one. Uh, but for fighting bacteria, it's tough to beat, uh, you know, DM, DM, Hydantuin. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So the one thing about Arbonne is who they manufacture with, which I won't say. 
although you could probably find it on the, on the internet, they, um, so all these preservatives they used could actually be preservatives of raw materials and they've listed them out. Um, so it's oh, tough okay. to know for sure what they're really using um, as their main preservation system. And I know that they have a very strict list and set of protocols that they use in their products. They have a very strong ingredient ethos, uh, but sometimes it just doesn't pay off. Yeah, I mean, when you when you go to alternative preservatives, you're taking a risk, and you know, a lot of times those contract manufacturers are are not exactly reliable. Yeah, well, I've said it before. Manufacturing is tough, and that's why you need adequate preservation. Manufacturing is tough. Yeah. It's a wet environment. Yeah. There was another one too that was recalled. I, I love a recall. It means taking responsibility. Yeah, Becca Cosmetics. They're Light Shifter Brightening Concealer. Uh, it was recalled due to the presence of mold on the applicator sponge. Oh, wow. Uh, there's a bunch of lot numbers that if you bought, but if you bought a Becca concealer in the last month, it probably is covered in the recall. Yeah, that's tough, especially when you have the sponges and the applicators and they constantly remain moist with product. That's that's a toughie. Sometimes it's it's food, Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. This is all just proof, though, that you know the cosmetic industry is regulated and people are checking. And so when we find these things, you know, it's never going to be perfect. But when you find microbial contaminations, there is stuff that can be done about it. Recalls happen, and good companies will recall products that are bad. Oh yeah. Well, should we get to some of our beauty questions? Yeah, let's do that. We got a few audio ones today. Oh, I love those. Hi, Beauty Brains. I'm a new listener. Um, I've just started listening and discovered you guys actually since being stuck at home on lockdown here in the UK. And being home has given me plenty of time to indulge my obsession with cosmetics and serums and creams and such. And I've actually recently discovered uh, there's such a thing as a cosmetic fridge. So it's a mini fridge to keep your products in. And one of the benefits is that it's supposed to extend the life um, of the products themselves. So this piqued my interest because I tend to buy a lot of things at the same time. And I also get a lot of samples as well. So by the time I get to use a product, it may likely be... <laughs> quite close to expiring or possibly outside of its um, optimal use period. So I'm just curious to hear from you guys if this is a product that you think is actually, um, well, it, does it do what it claims? Does it extend the life of, pro of your cosmetic products? Is it something that you would recommend using or is it fine to just keep um, items in a, in a regular fridge? Uh, looking forward to hearing what you have to say and thank you for helping me through <laughs> this uh, lockdown in your own special way. Bye. Well, thanks for that question, Lori. The fridges, another piece of equipment that cosmetic companies are trying to get people to buy, huh? Yeah, it's, it's, that's a big accessory. That's not like a little makeup brush or anything like that. Yeah, and I, uh, I'm just trying to imagine like in my bathroom, where would a fridge go? <laughs> just, there's not a lot of space for it. Well, I don't know if it's supposed to go in the bathroom. I think it's supposed to go like in your bedroom or where you get ready, maybe by your vanity, maybe at work. I don't know. Huh. Well, those are all things. But let's talk about this refrigerator thing. 
So where does the idea even come from? The idea essentially comes from the fact that um, when you're doing stability testing, that is, um, stability testing is a, a test that you run to see how long a product is going to last or just to make sure it lasts uh, long enough. So uh, typically when you make cosmetic products, you want the products to remain the way they are for at least a year. Um, that was always our target, uh, one year from production. Uh, and when a product is stable, what that means is that uh, it's within the specifications. So it's the right thickness, it's the right color, it smells good, and of course it's got to perform properly. So you do stability testing uh, to, to figure that out. And one of the things you do is to accelerate what might happen in the future, you can heat things up. Uh, because there's the, uh, I think it's the Arrhenius equation, or Arrhenius equation, which just essentially, Arrhenius? it's a mathematical, uh, yes, that's the Arrhenius equation, but essentially it's a mathematical uh, equation which demonstrates that chemical reactions essentially double about every 10 degrees C, like the speed of the chemical reactions. Oh, it's a really rough estimate, but it's, it's a chemistry thing. And so the idea is if you increase the heat of something, you store something at a higher temperature, you're going to speed up any kind of breakdown reactions that might happen. And so you can test something for two or three months, and that'll be able to predict what will happen at a lower temperature, say room temperature, over the course of the year. That's, that's it's kind of the principle of stability testing. But one of the principles is that while heating something up will increase the breakdown speed, uh, cooling something down might decrease the breakdown speed, right? Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that if you have cosmetic products uh, that you want to last longer, you could put them in a, a refrigerator at lower temperatures. In fact, we when we did stability testing, our lower temperature was like a 4C refrigerator. That was our control mm -hmm. where the product shouldn't change at all. And that's kind of probably where the, these marketers of the fridges got this idea because they're like, well, if you make it cooler, it'll last longer. And for some, you know, there is some truth to that. Products that are stored in cooler locations and, you know, away from light, they are going to last a bit longer. And this will be especially good for things like uh, fragrances and colors, but also I would expect uh, active ingredients that can break down over time, like say ascorbic acid or vitamin C, uh, retinol, those kinds of things, uh, niacinamide. A, a lot of the anti-aging ingredients, their breakdown can be slowed uh, by putting them in a refrigerator. Although I would say one that probably can't be is like sunscreen actives. I don't, I don't imagine those are going to be significantly uh, slowed down their break, breakdown of them uh, by using a refrigerator. But the bottom line is uh, these fridges could do that. Now, whether, you, whether that's enough of a benefit for you to go and buy one, um, you know, I personally don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't go buy one. I don't think you're going to get a noticeable benefit uh, out of using a refrigerator to uh, keep your products longer, but I can understand why people are selling these. Yeah, I think per Perry's right. You're not going to see a noticeable difference about preservation unless you're using one of these brands that says, hey, you have to refrigerate our product to prolong its shelf life because of inadequate preservation that we have or whatever. I don't know if they'll admit that, oh. but uh, I think, A, you could use your regular refrigerator, um, 
Yes, you could. I yeah. mean, that's about four degrees Celsius as well, which is what Perry and I use in the lab here. The one thing, I do keep a couple products in the refrigerator. I'll just say that, I do. And it's it's not about preservation or maintaining optimum active, active levels. They're actually it's because they're masks and you uh, put them on after you do exfoliation. And so Mm -hmm. to have a cooling sensation because the product is literally cool when you put it on your skin is something I find pleasurable. I've also kept sheet masks in the fridge so that you could have like a really cold sheet mask on your face, which is uh, really fun as well. So that's why I keep stuff in the fridge, but could I also get the same product benefits without using the refrigerator? Absolutely. Um, it's just really a temperature thing and a, an aesthetic preference for myself. So yeah. And I, 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 the only thing I would add is that if you're putting beauty products in your refrigerator, uh, be sure to like separate them off somehow. So you don't accidentally use that as food. (laughs) (laughs) I know while sometimes cosmetics are marketed as like good enough to eat, you shouldn't eat them. Never. You should never eat them. (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't even want to go there. Yeah, you shouldn't at all. So, I mean, like, yeah, if you were going to get a mini fridge for free for your cosmetics, take it. Should you go out and buy one? Meh, if you have disposable income and you want to do it, sure. But uh, I think you can get away with using uh, your regular old refrigerator and having a little shelf for your stuff. All right, what do we got next? Well, our second question is actually a trio of audio questions. So it's like a three-in-one from Charlotte, go ahead and hit play. Alrighty. Hello there, so my name is Charlotte and I've been following you guys for quite a while now and I really love your podcast, it's a great source of information. And yeah, I finally found the time to sit down and ask you guys some questions, so here it goes. So the first one is about washing your hair. I wanna know if, I mean, I already know that washing your hair isn't good for it, But I want to know if dry shampoo is even worse. Because since I'm trying to wash my hair less, I'm using quite a lot of dry shampoo. So the question is, is it equally as bad for your scalp? Or is it okay or better than washing your hair every day? Like, is it a compromise, let's say? The second question is about if you should cut your split ends off. If it is really beneficial or if it's just like a myth that you have to cut off your split ends. And the third one is about the ordinary hair serum. I just want to know if it actually works and what's the science behind it and what are your thoughts about it? All right. So Charlotte has tons of questions about hair. Uh, three of them specifically, if uh, so I guess three is a ton. So the first one about dry shampoo. <laughs> it depends on how much they weigh, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So she wants to know all about dry shampoo and people use uh, dry shampoo for a multitude of reasons. Uh, some people use dry shampoo if they have an oily scalp and they want to use some of the pigments from the dry shampoo to do oil absorption. It helps prolong the need for washing your hair in between showers. Other people like it because their hair feels fresh or maybe they just came from the gym Uh, But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about uh, your scalp and keeping your scalp feeling clean and extending the look of your style without having to get your hair wet. 
So does dry shampoo, is it worse than washing your hair? Is it worse for your hair? I would say no, because ultimately the worst thing that you could do to your hair is add water to it. Water weakens right. the proteins. It uh, removes, swells it up. Swells yeah. it, removes color from the hair. So in a way, dry shampoo is better for your hair than washing it. However, to answer the second part of her question, uh, is it equally bad for your scalp? I would say only using dry shampoo is probably not great for your scalp. I've actually seen a lot of close-up microscopy uh, where people have had dry shampoo on the scalp, uh, and it, it's pretty scary looking. Uh, it doesn't look good. Um, you know, This is why you shouldn't look at uh, electron microscope graphs of people's heads before you go to bed. Yeah, or while you're eating um, spaghetti oh, with right. par- Parmesan <laughs> cheese on it. But anyway, um, so I would say, is dry shampoo bad for your scalp? No, but I mean, you want to actually shampoo your hair at some point in time to remove uh, dead skin, oil, debris, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, the reality is that dry shampoo... Uh, it does not clean your hair as well as shampoo. No. Um, you know, it's, if it did, it, it would be much more popular. It, it just does not. Yeah, and dry shampoo is, is such a mis, a misnomer because it's really not about cleansing your scalp. That's not it at all. It's really just about oil absorption and delaying right. you from having to get in the shower and get your hair wet and ruin your style. So yeah. dry shampoo should not be treated as regular shampoo. You can certainly use it to prolong the color of your hair because you're washing your hair less. Uh, but yeah, yeah sh- shampoo shampoo uh, your hair every once in a while, and you should be fine <laughs> yeah, with the balance. Yeah, because the reality is, like, dry shampoo, you, you put it in your hair, and then you're supposed to brush it out. Mm-hmm. But I don't care how good you are at brushing, you're not going to brush it all out. You're going to leave some behind. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't brush. They just kind of spray it in and, and muscle it in with their fingers, which, oh. yeah. Is against manufacturer directions. You're but missing part two of that. Yeah, yeah, but you'll be okay if you don't, yeah. Sure, sure. Um, so the second question, yes, you should absolutely cut your split ends. I like to do it in my car when I'm at a red light where the lighting is the best. Oh, really? And everyone in our test line... Like a little tweezers or something? They cringe when they... Because they know that I do this, and they absolutely cringe. So I'll I'll take a look at my hair. Your car has the best lighting for popping pimples, cutting your split ends, (laughs) tweezing your face. The car is the best place. So I have a little kit that I keep in the console of my car. You never know, oh, at a red light, oh, I have a hangnail. Let me get rid of it. So I always recommend to keep a little beauty kit in the car. And when you see that hair, pluck it. When you see that hangnail, cut it. For split ends, I like to take cuticle scissors or even nail clippers will, will work or really any kind of scissor. And when you see it, cut it because when the hair is split, it's gonna continue to break. The fiber is broken, it's damaged, it's stressed, it's compromised. And you wanna cut cut that end off the hair, otherwise the hair is gonna continue to break up the hair shaft and will continue to get shorter. So absolutely, if you see a split end, cut it. And even if you don't see a split end, uh, you do wanna get trims regularly because the bottom of the hair does get weathered, it does get damaged and causes stress on the rest of your hair fiber and you'll, you'll get some breakage. So absolutely yeah. do trim them. I must say, I haven't had my hair trimmed in months <laughs> ever since yeah. this pandemic. <laughs> I actually have like little mini dreadlocks forming on the ends of my hair oh. because it's so damaged. It's, it's terrible. So yes, uh, cut those split ends. It's, and it's, it is not a myth. So Not a myth at all. Yeah. 
Third question, the Ordinary Hair Serum, does this work? So this actually isn't um, a serum for hair. It's really a scalp serum. And the Ordinary is very big on transparency. They disclose not only the trade names of their active ingredients, but who they buy them from, which is pretty unusual. Uh, Typically, as a brand, you don't want to disclose where you're getting your technology from because that allows other people to come in and do it. But the the ordinary, their business model isn't built on that. So, Well, they're already pretty low price, so it would be difficult to compete with them for price. And they built a brand. So I I could see that that openness about their products and how they're made and stuff could actually be a benefit for their brand. Yeah. So the purpose of this uh, hair serum, without them really saying it, is they... uh, want you to improve the uh, growth of hair on your head and the amount of hair that you have on your head. So they use an ah. ingredient called Redensool um, by Jividon. It used to be, uh, it was uh, designed and manufactured by a company called Induchem and then Jividon acquired them. It, they're in vitro testing target stem cells and human fibroblasts from the dermal papilla to improve hair density. Again, that claim is not based on uh, real life head application. All this testing is done in a clinical laboratory setting, um, in vitro, meaning um, in cell tissue cultures um, in the laboratory. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. Procapil by Sederma increases blood flow in the scalp, which allows the hair to be well-nourished, resulting in the appearance of thicker hair. Um, again, that's in vitro testing and, uh, whether it does that in real life, uh, you know, there are some small studies done with, uh, you know, maybe a group of like nine people or something like that, uh, where they say, oh, people felt it did these things. Uh, but, you know, hair growth is a highly regulated term in the United States, and, and you just can't say that these ingredients are really doing that. Uh, Bicapil by Provitol increases hair density. That's their third star active um, in their big ingredient list. So um, is it a nice serum for your hair? Yeah. Uh, do these ingredients have a lot of clinical lab research behind them? Yeah. Does it work in real life? I don't know. Hair loss is uh, really complex. And people have uh, hair thinning or low hair density, hair breakage, uh, all that stuff. We've talked about it before. They, yeah. they have it for a different, different reasons and it is a complex system that's unique to every person. So will it work for you? Uh, you know, I'm going to say probably not. Um, I, I, I will go there with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and- You know, uh, I remember in the industry being brought ingredients like this, suppliers do it all the time. They present you with actives that uh, if they actually did work, these would be drug products. Um, And it's telling that if something works so well, a a raw material supplier could make a ton of money if they could make a product that actually made your hair grow to an extent that consumers could notice. Oh, and then they would just go through the drug application process and, you know, you can make a ton of money. The fact that they haven't done that is that they kind of short-circuited the research and they went did lab testing and they went right ahead to sell it to uh, cosmetic makers. It kind of says that uh, they're not that confident that this is going to result in uh, something that would be so impressive that it, they could get a drug application approved by the FDA. So... 
Um, I would not hold out hope that you're going to see uh, much, if any, hair growth from using this product. And, you know, they don't, they don't say you're going to get that, uh, but they kind of do imply it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, these are really beautiful raw materials that they're using. They're, they have a lot of research behind them. Uh, these are really reputable companies. The, for sure, this for sure. Looking at this formulation, the ingredient listing, which we'll post in the show notes, it's a, it's a beautiful product. I'm sure it is. I just, I wouldn't hang my hat on it for hair growth, but it does have a lot of research behind uh, the independent ingredients. So what I would do, and the good news is the ordinary is not super expensive uh, as a brand as a whole is get it, try it. And if you feel uh, like your scalp health is improved and you feel good, absolutely keep using it. It is a, a, a really beautiful formula. It certainly can't hurt anything. Or if you're like Mr. Cosmetic, chemist, just get to the end and forget you were using anything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, do we have time for one more question, Perry? I think we do have time for this one more about lamellar technology. And this one is not an audio one. All right. This question comes to us, I think, from Lisa. Hello, Beauty Brains. Recently, I came upon this product called L'Oreal Paris Elvive 8 Second Wonder Water. It claims to use lamellar technology to deposit proteins and amino acids only where needed. It heats up when in contact with hair and water, making the hair feel hydrated and smooth. What is this lamellar technique and how does it work? Wow, lamellar technology. <laughs> now, um, this is interesting that now, and L'Oreal, they're a big company. Um, so, you know, they're not going to completely come up with something completely made up, but it, it, this is interesting. Now, you remember Valerie last year or in the last few years, uh, micellar water was all the rage. All about micellar and, water and right. as a cleanser. And guess what folks, like that's not an invention. That's just like how <laughs> cleansers work. <laughs> right. Uh, and to understand lamellar, uh, that is actually just the next step of micellar. So let's kind of talk about how this works. So these terms, uh, micelles and lamellar phases, these actually refer to the different structures that you get when you put a surfactant system together. And depending on the concentration of the surfactant, you'll get micelles, which are these spherical structures of the way that the, uh, the molecules from the, the surfactant organizes itself. If you so there is actually this point called the critical micelle concentration where uh, before that point in the concentration you just have molecules randomly bumping around but once you get to the critical micelle concentration then they form these uh, these structures to reduce the energy of the system well if you keep increasing the concentration of the surfactant these micelles will then turn into uh, lamellar rods and it's a, just a different structure of the way that the surfactants are, uh, are are aligned and then they'll even go into what we call these lamellar planes and so there's all these interesting little geographies that you see but these terms micelle and lamellar they're just different ways to describe the structures of surfactants. Um, fascinating to chemists, to consumers, I, <laughs> I don't know what this really means for consumers. Yeah, sometimes, especially when you get into lamellar gel networks and the, the lamellar emulsions, uh, you can sometimes feel an aesthetic difference depending on the type of emulsifier or surfactant you've, you've used. But for the most part, 
as a consumer, I don't know if you'd really be like, wow, look at this lamellar network. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, maybe like I would, I don't know, but, uh, yeah, it's just, um, it's just a way to talk fancy. It's really good marketing. I mean, you know, the, the, it sounds really cool. Yeah. I, I would buy this product and try it for sure. That's why they pay them the big bucks over at L'Oreal Marketing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You so, can imagine how this happened. Like their their marketing department went to their scientists and they're like, all right, what can we say new about this uh, surfactant system or, or I'm sorry, this cleanser that we're making? And they're yeah. Like, well, there was my seller. Uh, have you guys heard of Lameller? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, this is not a technology they invented. Lots of companies use this type of emulsion. Uh, or surfactant arrangement, and they're just talking about it in a really cool way. So, you know, I actually might pick this product up and try it and uh, and see what I think. Um, my hair definitely yeah. could use a little hydration and smoothness right now. Now, this notion of depositing the proteins and the amino acids where is needed, eh, that seems a little a little dicey. I mean, well, um, I mean, I guess you can define where is needed to whatever you want. Well, hair is, uh, typically negatively charged where it's damaged. And so if these proteins and amino acids are cationic, meaning positively charged, they'll be attracted to the negatively charged sites that are damaged and whoa, that's where it's needed. So again, it's not like they have these really intelligent molecules. It's like, no, that's just how like conditioning agents and hair works. (laughs) <laughs> They're just talking about it in a cool way. Many years ago, when I first got into the industry, there was a brand called Finesse, and that was their tagline. Uh, sometimes you need a little finesse, sometimes you need a lot. And... I liked Finesse. That was a good product. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they, but they just referred to, like, cationic surfactants. You're like, yeah, that's how they all work. <laughs> <laughs> but as a consumer, you don't know, and that, that's why we're here to help you guys. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, man. Well, I think that's the show. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Yeah, if you get a chance, can you go over to iTunes and leave us a review there? That's going to help other people find the show and ensure that we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. You know what? I say iTunes now, but I think Apple has gone through and they've changed things now. Do people use iTunes anymore? It's like Apple Music now. I have, like, no idea, but... That's where you can find us. (laughs) Yeah, well, there, or actually we're on Spotify too. So go ahead and leave feedback on the show and let us know how much you like us. uh, Or uh, if you don't like us, you know, you don't have to read us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at TheBeautyBrains2018. On Twitter, we're at TheBeautyBrains. And we have a Facebook page. And we're also on uh, Patreon, so if you want to support the show, Patreon is the best way to do that. That will help keep the show going and avoid any of those pesky advertisements that I find so annoying in my other podcasts that I listen to. So if you want to keep us going ad-free, uh, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>